Hello, saints and sinners. It's time for the Church Folk Podcast. This is the podcast that examines the spiritual journey that Christians and other people of faith are taking and how religion is working for them or not working for them. Thanks for streaming and downloading this podcast. We look forward to an invigorating conversation. Let's do this. Well, hello again, Church Folk community. Welcome back to another edition of the Church Folk Podcast. On this edition, we're going to be talking with John Henry, the executive director of a nonprofit in the city of San Francisco called Both Sides of the Conversation. We're going to hear about his journey from Jehovah's Witness to Christian man and working with community people, community leaders, and churches in the city of San Francisco. He's got a unique perspective. He's got some very good suggestions, and he's got some things he thinks could be doing a little bit better in regards to how the church is operating and what they should be doing for the community. So come on in. I think you'll enjoy his perspective. The doors of the Church Folk Podcast are open. And this evening, we are excited to be joined by a community activist in San Francisco, Mr. John Henry. He'll tell you all about himself and his church experience, but he is the executive director of a fabulous nonprofit called Both Sides of the Conversation. They're doing some wonderful things in the community, getting communities together. They are promoting businesses, Black-owned businesses. They're doing women's programs. They're doing sessions and discussions on uh, violence uh, in the community, violence against women. I'll let him talk about his own program as we go on. But I also wanted to talk to him about his spiritual journey. I met John Henry at a Glide um, event uh, where they were at at Manny's in San Francisco, where they were talking about what they're doing in the community. And we struck up a discussion. And John Henry is one of the people that I think the church needs to have, but may not necessarily have. Uh, A young man, he's a leader, he's someone who, he's a doer. He's not about, talking that much. He talks, but he gets things done. <laughs> so um, I wanted to bring him on. John, um, thank you so much for joining the Church Folk Podcast. Welcome. Man, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here, Church Folks. Um, John Henry, Executive Director of Both Sides of the Conversation. I'm just looking forward to being in space and having this conversation with you today. I appreciate that. Um, so one of the things that I'm hoping to accomplish in this podcast is different perspectives. Uh, everyone has a, a different spiritual journey, I believe, and and everyone has different challenges. We have challenges to our faith. We have challenges to the people we're dealing with. We have challenges to ourselves. Um, but with that said, why don't you talk about the baseline? How you grew up? If you you know went to church, I, I'm assuming you're a Christian, but that may not be the case. Correct me if that is is not not the case. Tell me about your early church experience and. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up in San Francisco. Um, I grew up in a, a family of Jehovah Witnesses is where I started off at. My mom was okay. a Jehovah Witness. My dad was a Jehovah Witness. Mm-hmm. And probably about 65% of my family was Jehovah Witness. So very strict um, religious background, um, mm-hmm. uh, a religious that, you know, doesn't celebrate a lot of the things that normal uh, American folks celebrate. They don't participate in political issues. They don't celebrate mm-hmm. Days and holidays, right? Um, different things of that nature. Um, but 
as I grew older, um, you know, going through that process and um, having my uh, own experience of life and, and growing up, um, I was a part of the organization. And then I had my daughter at the age of uh, 17 years old. And um, as a Jehovah Witness, if you have a child out of wedlock or, you know, you get disfellowshipped um, mm. for, for having a child out of wedlock. So uh, my experience from um, that part of my spiritual life um, separated. And um, also within coming out of that, um, being disfellowshipped from the congregation and from the Jehovah Witness um, organization, um, you know, there's this gap of separation. So, you know, they don't associate with you. It's kind of like this, you know, you out sure. by yourself. Um, so at that point, um, you know, it was a strain on my family, a strain on me because um, they were still actively practicing. Um, so it, it really put a strain on um, me as a person, um, as a young father, um, you know, the support and what you would think that a religion would be there for you. It would right. Home, right. Um, so after that, um, you know, going through my journey of life as a young father, um, I started to try out other religions um, to see, um, you know, what was in store for me. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, see, was it just a Jehovah Witness experience or like what's going on with the religion, uh, religion and, 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 and what's going on uh, from a spiritual standpoint? Um, so then I joined um, a, a number of Baptist churches, um, some Pentecostal churches um, and started to have different experiences, but kind of some of the same experiences um, of church. It was just, you know, in different forms. Um, so, yeah, I started doing a lot of um, uh going to uh, Baptist churches um, and a lot of other Christian churches um, to gain more information, more knowledge. And then I, I started finding a trend in, in, in churches that kind of disturbed me. Um, and, you know, I've always had my like uh, confusion of like, you know, what's righteous versus what we're being taught in, in, in the separation, the segregation of church. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I took those journeys and and it just kind of like I'm I'm still a Christian, I'm still a believer, but um, just having that internal uh, belief and process with um, the higher spirit has been kind of like my push um, here moving forward. So it it strikes me. So I'm a believer that in all of these religions, there's a strain of hypocrisy. But there's a lot of good, too. But I, I just think they all have some sort of common hypocrisy, either within the doctrine or within the people who are managing it. Yeah. And that experience, to me, people throw the word around uh, trauma. They throw that word around a lot. But I'm I'm one of those people who believes that's a special word. That means... Something special, usually not really good, that happened to you or a group of people that you know and love or something like that. And that Jehovah's Witness experience sounds to me that that might have been traumatic because if I had a baby and, and I love this child, I would want everybody around me that I love to love the child too. And I wouldn't want an institution coming in saying that I'm not worthy of love, which is what it sounded to me. Is that was that your experience, and, and that and did that experience color your future interactions with, you know, Baptists or whatever else you looked at? 
No, definitely. I mean, it definitely played a part of it. And I mean, um, I think that 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 trauma was there, you know, going through that experience. It was definitely a traumatic experience. You know, when you're going through stuff, you look for the people close to you to have that support, love and that, and that foundation of folks. Um, so, yeah, once once you lose that, it definitely puts a, a, a scar, you know, on you about things. Um, but I never let it hinder and I never let it hinder me. Um, when it came to other religions um, or going into other uh, sacred spaces, it was just always something that was there to be thoughtful and mindful of like, you know, in these spaces, um, sometimes what what the narrative is or what the objective is of these organizations. And um, um, a lot of times um, it all, for me, it, it made me think about things. I really started mm. to really think about the quest and the spirituality and the connectivity of, of the higher spirit. Um, mm-hmm. But when I got into uh, going into Baptist churches, um, one of the things that was totally different than being in uh, Jehovah Witness was, you know, they always believed that Jehovah was God. So mm-hmm. it took me um, some, some time to understand of the, the, the church celebration of Jesus Christ, you know, whereas as Jehovah Witness, they believe there's one God is Jehovah and not, not Jesus Christ is God. Um, but also, um, you know, one of the things um, that I noticed in the Baptist church, um, the praising was totally different. So it took me time to get mm-hmm. um, to, th- to that point of like the, the singing and um, the praising um, and the things of that nature. And, um, you know, going to different churches where they talk in tongues and different things. So it took me <laughs> a long time to understand that. Um, but as yeah. I understood it, um, there was just, it was a lot of different things that was very conflicting, um, you know, within the religions, um, you know, because as Baptists, you know, they celebrate holidays. And um, for me growing up, knowing that, you know, Jesus wasn't born on Christmas or <laughs> Easter wasn't that. And to see uh, in a Baptist church, these type of things were being preached. And it was like, <laughs> it, it took me a while to kind of Get used it, to it sounds like it sounds like there's di- there's different rituals and 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 there's different styles. So yeah, no. you know, I, I talked to Catholic people and 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 I remember one time I invited um, a dear friend of ours who was a babysitter for my son to um, his baptism. She was a, a Mormon, and and I'm Baptist, and 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 we have a loud choir, and and she, it was. It, it was like she it's like somebody dropped a, a a bomb like 10 feet in front of her she was just shocked right. <laughs> you know, so. it's definitely a different experience but i mean as i you know went through it you know you start to understand um the different things um that takes place in the different organizations um but you know there was also things that you know um I didn't understand because, you know, as Jehovah's Witness, like I said, it's very strict uh, religion, um, you know, and then we came into, um, I would come to Baptist churches, people smoke cigarettes, different things. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind. I was like, no, you can't do this. Right. Um, so um, I just, it, it was always like a struggle. Like as I tried to transition into the Baptist yeah. church, different churches, I, it, it was just a struggle, right? It was a lot of things going on that I didn't understand. Uh, whereas Jehovah's Witness, um, they would do the community work, knocking on doors, being there. But when I went to the Baptist church, it wasn't a lot of outreach that was happening. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was just like different concepts um, in a sense. Um, but I started noticing that like um, the more that I got involved with it, how politically driven the churches were and mm-hmm. how 
politics and church was like, you know, really close. And I'm always a person after going through what I went through as a young person, um, you know, this thing of like cult and control, right? Um, so it was always to me um, how the church was used to politicize, um, you know, political matters and things like that is always, you know, kind of mind boggling for me um, because we always believed in like, you know, God is our leader. God is the one who makes the ways for us. But, you know, as I started coming into the Baptist church, it just seems like we started to praise men more and a lot of the man-made things um, that were happening um, in the country. And um, it was always kind of a, a struggle for me because um, I just didn't believe that way, but I was always open to different things. And um, I just started to find that a lot of the church leaders, uh, senior pastors would you know, so involved with like the politics and, and then um, the finance, right? It was like so mm -hmm. big on the money. And I was a, I was in a member of a couple of churches who uh, the pastors ran off with money and did different things. I mean, big, yeah. big known churches here in the Bay Area, like, you know, stories of um, how they did their members. Um, mm -hmm. And then I started to just, you know, deal with those scenarios and go to other churches. And it was like this model. Um, that was happening that I was seeing in the churches that was more, it was more politicized and it was more like the commercialization of churches um, that really turned me off. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I, um, and I want to get to that because I, I suspect you're, um, you have some very good insights when it comes to the politics of church and the community. Um, because I, I have a feeling you're still working with churches Yes, but you may not be active in a church. I don't know if that's correct or not. That's correct. I, but, I, um, but 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 the, the, something something that happened. I think you you reconciled, and I want to I want to ask you more about it because I think it's important. Because you split from your uh, original from the Jehovah's Witness, and then you went to search for other support in other religions. At some point, I'm thinking you made a piece. And you made a distinction. And what also struck me about your story, it, it, you, you had your daughter at a very young age. So all this stuff is happening. You know, the spiritual stuff, this responsibility at, at, at 17, you said? Yes. So you had to figure out stuff way sooner than a lot of people. You know, you, right. you, you, didn't, you didn't have the luxury of, of, you know, screwing up for 10 years until you started thinking about stuff. But I, I, it sounds to me like you made a, a reconciliation between the institution of church and the spirit of God. Yes. Is, 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 did something like that happen? And if so, how did you come to that? Well, I mean, you know, as you know, as as any person of faith um, who do uh, the 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 work, the Bible studies and the work, and you start understanding the spiritual connections and the connection that you need to have with God yourself individually. Um, I had to like disconnect myself from, Hey, this is what's, you know, going on here in the church. How do I better myself spiritually inclined with the higher spirit, you know, and um, reading and informing myself and, you know, not getting into the interpretations, but just really opening up uh, to the higher spirit gave me a, a better uh, understanding in a in a sense of peace um, that I wasn't getting when I was just focused on the church and what was going on um, mm. within it. Um, I, I seem to have a better connection, a better um, you know. My prayers seem to be answered. My uh, meditation and, and and my 
the, the peace that I got from what I was doing, um, the self-work one-on-one, the, the self-education mm-hmm. um, seemed to bring me closer to the higher spirits. Wow, that's that's uh, that that's good to hear. You strike me as somewhat of a leader, yeah. so you would have some very interesting critiques or suggestions or observations in regards to church leadership, good and bad. Tell me right. what you've seen in that regard. So yeah, yeah I would consider myself a, a person uh, in the community as a leader um, on this assignment um, that the higher spirit. Um, put into me to to drive me forward um, with the community, um, with my community organization. One thing about me is I'm I'm always about the people, um, and I, what I found just dealing with a lot of um, religious circles or uh, you know spiritual folks within um, church organizations is um, you know it's not so much focused on the people. You know, it's more focused on their congregation. It's more focused on um, the work that they do, um, are their memberships, are their, you know, acquaintances to organizations. Um, and it always frustrated me because at the, I always looked at the church, the leaders of the community, um, just from a historic standpoint to now as the folks that we go to to help lead us for change, to empower our community. And um, as I started doing um, my community work, 24 years of service to the community, you know, doing reentry, working with the community, feeding the people. What I found was our church leaders um, was very divisive. Um, you know, a lot of them were very divisive. Um, you know, not in, in what way? In, 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 give me, give me an example if you can, or talk a little bit more without being right, too so, specific. Well, so when you're a leader, you lead people. Um, and I grew up in San Francisco. So what I started to see was the pastors in our city doing the same thing that the people on the streets was doing. They would say, hey, I'm, I'm from here or I'm from I'm from Hunter's Point. I'm from Fillmore. I'm from there. Um, and, and when they're advocating for community, um, it seems to be that they would only advocate for people that was within a church or within the community or district mm-hmm. they lived in. Right. And it, and it divides our community, especially in San Francisco, small population of black folks. Now, I mean, back in the days, it was a larger population. Right. Even then, it was it was the same thing. Um, so you have all of these power struggles within the city and within our religious realms, you know, ties to our city hall, our elected officials, state officials. And, um, you know, they, they could be very divisive and, and dividing the community uh, with some of their doctrinate doctrine and and. and the way they preach and go about, um, um, you know, their, their, their business as leaders in the community. Um, you know, one thing about me is I don't judge people, you know, I can't really, uh, you know, get into how people live, how people are. My job is to really bring people together at the end of the day. Um, that's just my focus. If you need help, I'm trying to figure out how can I help you? How can I support you? And I feel like that's what our church leaders should be doing. Um, but too many times when I talk about the business of church, you know, there's uh, churches who are nonprofits who get federal funding and funding from the government who, you know, believes. And this is the common thing that we hear in our churches is they believe it's privileges and memberships. And um, I don't agree with that. You know, at the end of the day, I'm a taxpayer as well. And if there's funding and money that comes to the community, um, it should go to the community. Right. It shouldn't be uh, the privilege goes to my church members because they pay tithes and offerings and they mm. get first dibs or they get the first support or the help because they come to my church 
and and listen to me pastor uh, week in and week out. Um, so that's one of the things that I've always like had an issue with, and a lot of church uh, folks um, and pastors believe in that that is privileges and membership. And um, you know, I've, I've had to debate about it with a, a number of uh, the pastors, and I get it um, their perspectives. Um, but I just think as a leader of our community. Uh, especially in the, in, the, in that spiritual realm where you have so much power and you have so much um, control over folks, um, I just think you have to you have to do better as a leader um, to move the people. So, are you saying that some or all or whatever percentage you want to put on it of these church leaders are saying um, my congregation comes first, or are they saying? I am not helping anyone outside of my congregation with this federal with, it's with this money. It's a combination of both. Um, so you have some pastors who do do stuff outside of uh, the church, right? And um, but the but but the bulk of the benefits, you know, they take care of the church members um, first. Um, and mm-hmm. sometimes our folks that's in the church not saying that they don't need the support or help, but the greater community sometimes need more of the support than sometimes the folks are in the, in, in our church. Not saying that they, they, we don't have folks in the church that don't need the support, um, but um, there are pastors out there. I've been in those um, spaces. I've been on the uh, administrative side of churches, so I understand some of the, the mottos of how they think. And it's very, uh, you know, concerning and alarming as a, as a community person, um, how they view uh, the church and how they do the business of the church. So it's always been a concern for me. Um, you're a native of San Francisco. You grew up there. Yes. Born and raised. Yes. So back in the day, there were a lot more black people in San Francisco. Yes. Definitely. And I'm thinking with, and the last number I heard was 3%. It's probably um, less than now. <laughs> it's probably less than it's, now. It's, so, so the question is, you may not have an answer for this, but you know, at some point when your numbers are diminishing, you have to come together to preserve what you have. And it sounds like that may not be happening in terms of the church community. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely not happening. And and I think um, the pandemic has also exposed um, the churches in a sense of uh, retaining membership and um, things of that nature. I mean, right now it's a big push for churches across this country um, trying to bring members and people back to the church um, because of the, the virtual models. And, um, you know, a lot of those uh, churches who are mega churches have been able to adapt um, because of the funding and the support that they have to go digitally to catch up. But I think a lot of the smaller churches are being impacted right now um, because of the pandemic. Um, but again, I think the pandemic has also opened up people's minds um, too, um, to really reevaluate um, their spirituality and um, what they believe that their churches are supposed to be doing for community. Um, you know, there was a time um, for churches to step up and some did and some didn't. Um, but during this pandemic, a lot of our leaders, a lot of our churches shut their doors and um, pushed back. And um, a lot of them opened up um, when it was opportunity for benefits, meaning that they was able to uh, get some of the COVID relief money to do testing sites at their churches and things like that. And I think a lot of people saw that and um, it put a bad taste in the community's mouth. Um, but but again, you know, um, nobody's perfect. Um, you know, this this pandemic has been a phenomenon in this country, around the world. 
Um, but I think um, people are having a reawakening of like what um, realistically um, religion and, and, and church spirituality looks like in, in, in the upcoming years. I think more and more people are really um, looking into that. I think that, um, and, and COVID has certainly had an, an effect, and I, I'm I'm not sure we're done with it. I know there's some churches here in the Bay Area that are still not open, and the others are doing it by reservation only. It's like trying to get into a nightclub, um, but but that's for safety. So I understand that. Right. Um. So the effects of the pandemic are not over, and and I and I agree with what you're saying in regards to people. Um, being able to see other um, ways of worshiping—that's certainly something I've heard other preachers talk about um, amongst themselves in regards to what the pandemic has done in regards to the perspective their membership has. Um, to switch a, a little bit, uh, to just make a slight right turn, I think there's a lot of similarities in regards to the financial model between a nonprofit and a church. Churches are nonprofits. You're right. a nonprofit executive director now. Right. How long have you been? When did you start um, both sides? So both sides of the conversation started in uh, August of 2020. Okay. And, and okay. You started in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. Brave man. Um, or, 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 or as they like to say in church, a mighty man of faith. <laughs> um, I think you're going to be faced if you're not already faced with some of the same challenges that the church is faced with. Um, money, you're running a business. They call it a nonprofit and churches say they're, they're a nonprofit, they're business. I right. say the churches are in the business of saving souls. You're wow. in the business of serving the community. Well, I would, um, agree, I would agree with you, but when do our churches say that? You ask most churches right now, are they a business? They'll say no, right? But you look at the overall population of the church, you look at the amount of money that goes to our pastors. I've done assessments on it. You look at the financial um, pieces as past senior pastors that they get as far as their housing, education for their kids, the trips. The things that they get, it is a business, you know what I mean? And I don't, for me, it's not, um, I'm not one of those people that say people should make money for the work that they do, right? right. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Um, but my thing is, um, you know, we have a responsibility as well um, as we get those benefits to, to make sure that we support the community. And um, I've been in a number of churches behind the scenes working um, and understanding what goes on and the amount of money that comes into churches. Versus that what goes back out to the community is very marginal to, to where it should be at in, in the capacities of, of the money coming in. Have you thought about the, when the time hopefully comes for you, when you've got a staff of paid volunteer, not paid people, you know, you, you, you're running a staff of 20, 30 people, maybe. Um, and, you know, you're paying all these people. And the board, you go to the board and say, hey, my nonprofit, based on the you know, amount of money we get in grants and funding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I deserve to make 200000 because that's what the other nonprofit executive directors in the Bay Area are making. 
And when people hear that number or a number like that or any number that's more than what they make, <laughs> they say, well, that what what does that guy do to deserve that? Now, they don't know you started a nonprofit. They don't know that you worked for free. They don't know that you've been out there hustling day and night. They don't remember any of that. Same right. thing goes for the pastor in the church when they pay him too much money. And then he says you should tie 10 percent, although 10 percent of two hundred thousand dollars is a lot easier to do than 10 percent of ten thousand dollars. Right. Have you thought about how that when that time comes, how you'll handle that? I always, I always think about that. Um, you know what I mean? And, and you're right. You have to. And I don't have a problem with with pastors making money. Um, because they are giving up their jobs, most of them, to pastor all day and do the do the work for the community. Um, I, I, it's not so much how much a pastor makes, right? I think there's a level of income to survive for the work you do for the business or industry you in versus the greed. When you see some of these mega churches like Creflo Dollar, you know, asking for private well. <laughs> jets, you know, yes. working, you know, I'm saying thirty million dollar mansions, mm. like that's. Where you like? That's where I have the question at, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're sitting here. Um, you look at Joel Olstein and some of these larger churches. Sure, Yikes. I mean, nothing against them, right? You, it's a level you grow to, but then you go to these churches where ninety percent of your population of folks in there are uh, giving you ten percent of their money. They in debt. They financially ruined. They don't mm -hmm. have ownership, right? They they you know what I'm saying. So at that point. You know, when do we question the line of like, what's going on here? If my pastor's making 80% of the wealth, 90% of the wealth, and these poor folks are giving up 10%, 15% of they pay, and they barely can make it, and the excessive living is like, when do you question that, right? It's, it's like mm -hmm. a thing of integrity, right? So I run a digital media platform, right? To run a digital media platform is very expensive, right? Any mm. digital media executive director, for-profit, non-profit, yeah, it could go anywhere from $200,000 to $250,000, right? We here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Just the tech mm -hmm. uh, involvement of it, right? Um, but again, it's about the resources and the information and what we bring to the community um, is what, what it's about, right? We get... We get mm -hmm. We partnership with other folks. We make sure that our people in the community are fed. We make sure that they get the resources, the help, whatever we could do to, to participate. We do it as well as we uplift our business by spending our dollars with those businesses. So a lot of the money goes back to the community to empower mm -hmm. the community. You know, mm -hmm. you look at some of the other models. And like I said, I've worked behind the scene on the financial side. So I understand. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the amount of wealth that comes in the church versus what goes back to the community is a big gap. And that's all mm. I'm saying. I'm never going to penny pinch or pocket pinch anybody and say they can't make this. Uh, but I am a person that say, hey, if this uh, amount of equity is coming in from the people, but the amount that's not going back to the people is reaching that equity mark. I mean, that's that's a red flag for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I noticed in your nonprofit, you are all about people. You know, you're all about getting them together, giving them information, right. feeding them. I, I was going to say um, it, 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 it's, it's soothing them, Yeah, you know, it, 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 about mental health. How does your how does your spiritual foundation and and your relationship with God inform what you do with your nonprofit? I mean, it, it has a big, a big part of it. You know, our higher spirit, um, 
and, and, and for the spiritual folks who believe in Jesus, gave back to the people, right? Helped the people. We are in a crisis right now in this country, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've always had problems in this country, but I mean, I think this pandemic has opened the eye of the belly of the beast, you know, to, to really expose how bad our people are hurting out here, right? And and the best part of this pandemic was everybody had a time to sit down and reset, right? When everything was shut down, I, I mean, I don't care what you did, you had to sit down, mm-hmm. couldn't move, you couldn't go mm-hmm. nowhere. You had to tap into your books. You had to tap into your Bible. You had to tap into the TV. You had to tap into what was going on because nobody knew. You had to go somewhere to get information to find out what was going on. I think that level of consciousness started to open up, right? Mm-hmm. And it opened up so many wounds of problems in this country that I think white America, black America, Asian America, Latin America, folks all across the world said, whoa, we have a real problem. There's a big equity issue around the world. And, and, and I think you started looking at the numbers of people that was homeless, people that were hungry, people were out of work, uh, businesses failing. I mean, you started to really see who had and who didn't really fast. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things um, that I always tell people, the reason why both sides of the conversation um, was created was listening to the people. So I was before both sides of the conversation. I already was doing twenty plus years of uh, reentry work inside the jail, about twenty four years working with our mm. hall, um, mm. on our kids two times a week, two hours, two and a half hours every week. Um, right now, I always tell people you can find out what's wrong with the people if you just listen. Right. Mm-hmm. Once the pandemic happened, the programming that we were doing in the juvenile to mentor our at-risk youth, they had to shut the jail down. We couldn't go in there. So it gave me an opportunity to slow down and then pivot back into the community because I said, hey, just because the jail can't clo- just close down, I still got other people in my community that I know need help. Let me find out and tap in with the community, see what's going on. You start mm-hmm. to the people and they saying, hey. You know, we're locked down. Nobody from the city's telling us what's going on. Our Wi-Fi is poor over here. We can't log in to find out what's going on. They're passing out these Zoom meetings. We don't know how to use it, right? We had a, a, a lack of, like, everything, right? So I'm talking to people. I'm going to the community. You know, people are struggling. I don't have enough money to make it. I uh, tested for COVID. I can't go to work. I'm a single mother of three kids. I, I don't know where, how do I go get the funding to help me? So I started hearing all these problems and said, whoa, 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 we got we to gotta do something, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was a community leader having uh, part of uh, City Hall and different things of that nature as far as what was going on, being a part of that, I said, hey, we got to create something where we bring our community town halls back in place. Our community folks have a place where they can talk about what's going on. And we got to get our city officials and our elected folks uh at some space where information could be passed down to the community, they could get it and the community have a place where they could talk. And as I started doing assessments, um, I do uh, financial literacy, uh, basic classes to people, teach them how to budget and do debt. And when I started talking to people and started doing assessments of people finances, I said, whoa, my people is in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, they need mm-hmm. some help. Um, and, um, you know, talking to some of the property managements and, and, and property uh, HUD people, um, you know, give me the information like, John, you know, 80 percent of our residents here haven't paid their month rent in months. Hmm. You know, and I started finding out 75 percent of our people that's living in these housing developments are paying their rent with money orders. They don't even have checking accounts. I'm like, you know, yeah. we, we in bad condition. Um, so, 
you know, that's what really kind of propelled both sides of the conversation. And then the people who were doing the work, the community organizations, we started to find out that, you know, a lot of them was burned out. A lot of them have been doing the work. Sure. They felt like, hey, you know, we don't get acknowledged. We underpaid. We deal with the highest uh, risk uh, uh, community folks and we don't get no support. Um, so we started creating these things like, you know, we got to help be a part of fixing a problem. Right. It's like mm-hmm. we have to fix it ourselves. Um, so that's how our segments started coming out Um, our three segments. So we have a segment hidden gyms where we highlight our black and brown businesses as they were getting hit the hardest during the pandemic um, with funding, people supporting them. Um, so we wanted to create a space where we could come and let our black and brown businesses come uh, on our platform and um, let community know who they are, where they at, the hours of operation, what services they provide, and how could the community go out and support them, as well as we use, utilize that, that uh, segment to highlight our, our community leaders, folks who are doing the work in these mm-hmm. now- Profits or in the schools, police, fire that are doing things to positively impact our community. We want to highlight them, give them their roses. Too many times in our community, we don't hear about these folks until they dead, right? Sure. They land in a casket yeah. and hear about right. all these wonderful things uh, yeah, that this person was a part of. So we want to make sure that they got their acknowledgement. And then um, the educational part, you know, we started Educational Thursdays um, because of the assessment to find out how many people was financially just, uh, you know, which wasn't there. They couldn't do mm-hmm. it. Um, and then we had so many killings, um, violence in our community during COVID. And we mm-hmm. see a massive increase of people putting GoFundMes up to fund their kids' burial services. Yeah. And I started saying, well, what's going on? Why these people don't have life insurance? What is like? I know you can get a life insurance policy for $50 mm-hmm. a month, term policy. Mm-hmm. Why are they not getting it? I know they, I see their tennis shoes. I see the car they drive. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know they support it, right? Yeah. But it, now it's about the education and awareness. Part. Sure, sure. Um, so we created that and we started reaching out to professional folks and it just started to take off. We initially just kicked off just trying to do financial literacy, mm-hmm. life insurance, teaching people stocks and investments and things of that nature. And then it just kind of widened up where people with different folks were saying, hey, I got a PowerPoint presentation on this. You know, I want to teach people how to get jobs, how to write resumes. We want to teach people what's going on in the market. So, you know, it just the platform opened up um, for these educational presentations to start bringing different folks in to educate our community. And then on Sundays, every Sunday, we was having our Sunday conversations which was huge. It started taking off because Hmm. in the black and brown community, there's a lot of topics and issues that take place in our community, whether it's religious, whether it's uh, community issues, violence. We don't like to talk about it for whatever reason in black community is certain conversations are taboo or stigma conversations, right? Mm -hmm. The only way we could change this, we have to change it. We have to talk about it, right? But where else do you have it in this country where uh, mainstream media where black folks could really come on here and talk about the issues without being judged, without uh, you know having to deal with all of the um, the stuff that mainstream media does. And I said, hey, I want to keep it authentic. I want to have these conversations, right? I want to open it up. Let's talk about it. And um, that's what we've done. We've had conversations about domestic violence, human trafficking. We've had our uh, spiritual leaders on. We've talked about sex. We've talked about uh, um, a number of uh, topics, relationships. You know, yeah, the, women abused, women being abused, all that stuff. So, where? So, two two questions for you. What's your um? What's your assessment of how the church responded to COVID? And the other piece of that is everything you're doing 
churches have done at one point or another. Maybe not every single church, but as a group, they provided a lot of what you're doing. So, so my initial assessments of the churches is they failed the community initially. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, they 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 failed, and this is where I, I, I always draw the line. Um, I know a lot of the churches uh, when COVID first hit, and um, they was talking about getting a vaccination. I think eighty to ninety percent of our churches in San Francisco was against the vaccination. Um, wow. They started telling the, the, the members, you know, oh, remember this, uh, the, the, what happened in, back in the days when they did these experiments on black folks. Don't get the vaccination. They trying to kill us. Or, you know what I mean? It was a lot of that. Um, mm. it, it, it really was a lot of it. I, I mean, I know a lot of people that was coming from church said, man, the pastor said this. Don't get it. Just protect yourself. I mean, it was a lot of misinformation that was coming out of the church um, to the community members. And uh, I think they did a terrible job. All of the churches from all uh, religious backgrounds, Catholic, Baptist, um, you know, Muslims, I think they all did a poor job of really, um, you know, trying to be on the forefront to educate the community mm-hmm. and encourage community to do it. I mean, it's the same thing that the churches do when we talk about mental health. You know, um, you know, for so many years, our pastors would say, oh, you got the devil in you and all of this stuff and kind of demonize mental health. And I think, again, uh, with the monetization of what's taking place, a lot of them have turned um, their tone. Um, and I can say some of the prolific and powerful pastors of San Francisco, I know for sure, was on that original push of don't mm. get vaccination. They're trying, mm. to, they're trying to put poison in our body. And as the monetization part started to come out, the money started to come out to the churches, a lot of those churches started to change their tune and say, no, you should get this vaccination. This stuff is spreading um, because of the money. And I know I'm not going to say their name, but a lot of the big churches um, did that. I'm very disappointed in their leadership um, because they had an opportunity early on um, before to really move our community and say, hey, as a community, um, this is what we need to do to move forward. Even though um, there was gaps in information, a lot of misinformation that took place, I think they had an opportunity um, to lead the people. And I think they did a disservice to the community. Um, but again, as the money started rolling, the COVID relief started to come in and they started to find out, open up vaccination sites on your property. And here's funding for this and funding the relief for members who catch COVID. As the money started coming in, I started to see a big change in the, in, in the, um, the posture of our pastors of the community, then advocating for vaccination. We This is a crisis. It's out of control now. And, and it was after the money came in. So I'm very disappointed uh, um, how it, it happened. But um, that's where we at now. But um, regardless of how, how let, it, let, let, let me let me just clarify because I I want to make sure I got it. Um, are you, I don't know anything about the economics of the COVID of the uh, vaccination relief programs at churches. I do understand that if they're that they're probably getting money for staff. Um, but is are you saying there's a profit margin in there for them to do it also? Oh yeah, no, definitely. They they got paid money to utilize their space. They got uh, money oh. to pay for their staff. They got money uh, for people that uh, tested positive in a site to help support them. Um, mm. You know, a lot of community outreach and marketing that they were supposed to do because the churches would say, "Hey, we got three hundred, four hundred members. We'll do outreach and marketing to them." So there was dollars put into that. Uh, there was mm. a lot of monetization that took place. I see. COVID. So it. Okay. it some some financial uh it was more than just paying for the staff it, it mm-hmm. was a lot, 
You know, I mean, those pastors was charging, um, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars to utilize their space, their parking lots to have COVID testing sites and things of that nature. Um, hmm. you know, they got paid big money to do cleanup. Um, so, yeah, it, it was definitely um, a, a well-rounded um, financial um, aspect that took place more than just paying for staff. So so w- w- what did you learn as a as a nonprofit and, and, and maybe even spiritually from COVID? So what I learned um, as a nonprofit um, during COVID was a number of things. Um, you know, I really um, had to reassess um, the state that our people was in. Um, and that's what kind of propelled me to do more. Like I really, you know, I already knew that our community suffered when it came to health, um, when it came to financial, when it came to education, I already knew that there um, was a gap or there was mm-hmm. some 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 lack of equity there. Um, but I think um, it, it, it really I dove in deep and really um, got to put my hands and feet on the ground with the people and found out like how bad it really was. Right. You like kind of think like we know it's bad as there's this this population out there. Um, but when I really started to. Uh, hone in on the community and the folks, I, I, I really started to see like we have a crisis. Mm-hmm. Like people are hurting. Like when I say sure. we're hurting, we are in bad condition, Black America. We are in bad condition. And the Latin community is right behind us. Mm-hmm. We are in bad, bad uh, 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 a crisis here in America. Financially, health-wise, um, we are lacking. Um, and, and just in San Francisco and District 10, just the inequities of having access to Wi-Fi, computers, uh, being able to log in. I mean, it is terrible. Mm. Our seniors, okay, our seniors are suffering uh, so bad. Um, and, and it just exposed it even more in COVID, um, the, the lack of access and ac- equity um, that we have for our seniors access to food. Food security is like one of the biggest issues um, in our community. And with this COVID, the inflation increase, the GDP increase in this country has caused food security um, to be right under uh, in the top three of issues that impact the black and brown community right now. And um, Mm -hmm. it it just opened my eyes up even more how fast um, we are going down this this off this cliff of just uh, this crisis, and I mean, sure. doing homeless outreach. You know, we would see places um, that would have one, two homeless folks, and within weeks, two, three hundred people now living in these spots. Um, I mean, that's how bad. And then once folks couldn't pay their rent, um, the evictions and things that were taking place. Man, we started seeing RVs, people living in cars, kids. Okay, I just. Mm-hmm. 2 million, uh, I just failed 2,500 uh, 2, 2, 2, folks last month on Skid Row um, down in LA. 2,500. Mm. And, and wow. after we fed 2,500 people, the line still was wrapped mm. around for people looking for services. And let me tell you, uh, when you see the amount of kids, and I'm not talking 10, 15, I'm talking hundreds of kids between the ages of two to five years old, sleeping in tents, sleeping in cars. It is terrible. Our country is in in, 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 a, in a crisis that is just unbelievable, especially to black folks in our community. And it is, it's troubling. What does it do to you spiritually? Oh, it, 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 it saddens me. I mean, it's always 
um, you know, I have faith, but it's always um, that that part of um, depression, you know, just mm-hmm. to be the condition of my people, um, mm-hmm. to know um, that we all could do a little bit more better uh, to make it a better place and to help our folks out. And so many people who have the opportunity to do it is not doing it is also um, disturbing. Um, How come you think there's all ever since, you know, I'm, I'm a little older than you are. But ever since I've been young, and probably uh, obviously before that, there's always been people in our community who, may, maybe it's more than not doing their part, but they're not doing, they're not doing what they should do. Well, I mean, you said it. I mean, that's what it is: property pimping. You know, um, mm-hmm. our our people, and when I say our people, I'm talking about black folks. Okay, we have become the oppressors of our own people. You know, and we do it through this classism. You know, our educated folks versus our uneducated folks. Mm-hmm. Educated folks are a lot of times these poverty pimps of our community who go learn the education, learn the educational game, learn the corporate game. They come back and they profitize off of our, our struggle. And, um, you know, and their mindset is, hey, we gave them something that's better than nothing. Um, but it's greed um, and it's, it, it's terrible, but it happens in our community way too much. Can you tell me about uh, someone who had a um, a really positive influence on your spiritual walk? Um, uh, I would say you know I, I've had a couple of uh, really good um, pastors that 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 I would say that were good and 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 I really see they work. Um, I would I would have to say uh, Claiborne Lee. Uh, Mount Calvary Baptist Church was probably like one of those leaders um, mm-hmm. I felt like really helped me um, because he embraced me, knew I was a Jehovah Witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, um, I struggled um, with with religion and just, you know, so many of the things that took place from just being a part of different uh, organizations. Um, but when I came to his church, um, his leadership, his vision, and um, his commitment to uh, his outreach to give back to the community was very powerful. It changed. It changed a lot of uh, my mindset that there are uh, pastors out there. And I'm not gonna say they all bad, you know. Um, right. Sometimes it gets taken off that they all bad. Um, but what happens is the majority are the the, the majority of the ones that are doing a disservice to the community overshadows the few um, that are doing great things. So he always uplifted me and um, always gave me encouragement. Um, to to be free minded and and also have the the ability to talk to me on a spiritual level as well and say you know this is why this is like this and you know always kept me encouraged um, and mm-hmm. not being like oh all the churches is bad um, so there is definitely some churches that are doing impact um, work um, that are you know doing some phenomenal things for our community and it's sad that some of those smaller churches and some of those mid-sized churches that are doing impact get at, overshadowed um, by some yeah, of the yeah. churches and some of the folks that's really uh, doing a disservice to the community yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta believe that over the years you've had a couple of battles or challenges uh, to your faith what would you say to a younger person who might maybe, you know, 17, just had a baby or, you know, whatever that, that might help them in regards to how they approach their 
spiritual walk or challenge with faith or challenge with God? Well, I would I would say, um, you know, stay open, you know, um, because this is a journey. Like you said, it is a journey um, and there's a number of things that will happen within that journey. Um, but have faith, have enough understanding that there is something greater than you out here. And um, stay open to to what what your energy brings to you to receive, um, because through that journey, that process, there's going to be a lot of things. Um, but as long as you still have faith that you know it's something greater than you, it's always going to pull your energy into the right space. Um, so that's what I would say. And um, never give up. You know, um, I think I think our young folks, and I'm gonna speak. I'm 42 years old, but I'm gonna say my age and younger and younger folks. Um, you know, as we came up through our times, um, we give up too easy. You know, the first try, the first sign of we don't get our way or the opportunity, we quit. And um, I'll just say to the young folks, young parents, don't quit, don't give up, continue to have faith. Even in the faith, there's there's gonna be um, things that you might disagree with, or you might see people that's hypocritical. Um, but don't let it uh, remove you and your faith. Continue to believe and stay open and just follow the energies in the way that it pull you. And I think you'll be all right. That's good stuff. Um, Saints and sinners, you've been listening to John Henry. You've received some very sage advice from a man who's walking the walk. Uh, Mr. Henry, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you being open. Um, tell people where they can find you and where they can find your, your, um, your nonprofit info and what, and, and, and your YouTube channel. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So you guys can follow us on our YouTube channel, both sides of the conversation, like subscribe, turn on the alert notification. You'll see uh, some of the amazing work that we're doing in the community. You can check us on all social media handles at both sides of the conversation. We have a Facebook group. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram, both sides of the conversation. We have a Twitter as well. Um, That's where you can find us at. Please go to our website www.bsotc.org is short acronyms for both sides of the conversation or you could go to both sides of the conversation.org you could write out the long way or you could take the shortcut www.bsotc.org check us out if you'd like to be on our podcast you want to be on some of our live streaming shows you could definitely sign up there if you like to support us you could donate and if you want us to come to an event reach out to us we'll be out there to support you in community as well Thank you all for having us on tonight. Thank you, Mr. Henry. God bless you and um, be safe. Well, church folk people, that was very interesting. John Henry had some very unique insights. He's got some things that he's got planned. He's done a lot already. And it was fascinating to hear about his journey from Jehovah Witness to Christian man working in a city that needs his help. And he's doing the best he can, and he's working with churches and among churches and among the community. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Until next time, be safe, be well. And if you're asking yourself, what would Jesus do? The answer is probably not that. So think again and be in prayer. We'll see you next time. Church folk people, I certainly enjoyed that conversation, and it was a blessing to find out about another spiritual journey and another path, and I hope it was a blessing to you also. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at Church Folk Pod, Twitter, Church Folk Podcast, 
on Facebook at Church Folk Podcast. And we have a website, churchfolkpodcast.com. On that website, there's a microphone in the lower right-hand corner. If you click on that microphone, you can leave me an audio message. You can request to be on the show, or you can just leave something that you want me to respond to, and I'll be happy to put it on the show and give you some feedback and talk about that topic. So until next time, be blessed, do what Jesus would do, and be safe. Mm-hmm.